I'm Mark Rush, Jr., partner of Prodigy Search. As part of our Prodigy Search Presents interview series, we're speaking with a few members of our Diversity and Inclusion Board of Advisors, as they play a major role advocating for change within their own organizations and the sports and entertainment industries as well. Our goal with this mini-series is to continue to educate and provide guidance to the sports and entertainment leaders out there, as our DNI board members share valuable insights and best practices. We kicked off this interview series last year with four members of our previous board of advisors and wanted to continue this conversation with four brand new members, uh, with Tim Wise being our uh, one of our new uh, advisors to join us this year. And so, Tim, I want, you to, want to introduce you and your background. And uh, before we get into the Q&A, maybe give the listeners a little bit of an understanding of who you are. Uh, currently the Senior Associate Athletic Director for Facilities, Events, and Revenue at the University of Notre Dame. And last time we spoke with Tim was in, in mid-2020, I think it was the summer of 2020, where you were at the University of Miami. Um, spent nearly 10 years there, I think, right? Uh, just, just shy of the, the decade mark uh, with the U. And when we interviewed Tim at that time, the focus was on the college landscape and how his role had changed and evolved during covid um, this conversation today will take a little bit of a different spin, obviously, with a DNI focus. But uh, prior to you, uh, you spent time at uh, Wisconsin, uh, UConn, and I think in total, so I'm going to age you, but I have more grades than you do, but bringing nearly, I think, 25 years of, of experience in the, in, in the college world. So a um, ton of knowledge to share today, and I uh, really appreciate your time. So thanks for joining us. Thanks, Mark. I'm excited to be here, Sean. So in, um, in February of 2017, and we covered MOA a little bit on our interview from two years ago, but just to bring people up to speed, um, obviously you were named to the MOA Board of, Board of Directors in 2017. Uh, 2019, I think you were named to the Executive Committee. And then um, this past June, June of 2021, appointed uh, second Vice President. Can you talk about MOA's evolution uh, and their growth over the years and, and how things change for the better with MOA? I'm always curious about you know, your, your take on MOA's history how things have changed, but then where MOA can go. And I'll re reiterate those questions as we kind of go, but talk about MOA. Sure, thanks, Mark. Uh, great start off question. Well, MOA is an organization that's very near and dear to me, um, particularly based on what it represents from a diversity, equity, and inclusion perspective. Um, but as you look at the evolution of MOA, um, we're 22 years old. Um, we started out you know, 22 years ago with a group of folks who just felt like they needed a, a space for minority, minority and diversity issues in the uh, collegiate athletic space, uh, collegiate athletic world. And so a group of people got together and formulated this group. And so back then, um, it didn't have a lot of membership, probably only a several hundred, and it was also a separate group by itself. Um, and then over time, as we grew momentum and we started to kind of really grow into who we are today and where we could be in the future. We, we started to see our membership increase um, drastically, but then also one of the big changes that came for us a few years back was that we uh, came underneath the umbrella of NACTA, which is obviously the National Association of Collegiate Directors of our Athletics. And so coming underneath that umbrella, it brought us in line with all the other affiliate groups uh, that belong to NACTA, but that also serve in the collegiate athletic space, whether that be NAD, SEFMA, um, and some of the other groups um, that work with NACTA in the collegiate athletic space. So again, as we've evolved over time, um, obviously we've, we've gone from, you know, really being this young and new group to this now, uh, a little bit older, more mature, but definitely with a more active voice and participation in the world of diversity, equity, and inclusion. And you know, just when I look at how we've evolved right now, we currently have over a thousand memberships 
I don't know that anyone thought 22 years ago that we would get there, but obviously in the last couple of years, we felt like we could get there, um, particularly with uh, Ed Scott's leadership. He's our current president. Um, he's at the University of Virginia now, but he made it a goal um, for, for us on the board that we needed to uh, eclipse that 1,000 membership uh, number, and we did it, uh, thankfully, this year. So we're excited about that aspect of what we do, but then also just being an advocacy group and a voice um, for minorities um, in the space. And it, it really doesn't matter where the space is. If you're in an athletic space, then we feel like we represent you, whether that's on the NCAA level, the NAI level, the junior college level. We feel like we have a, a voice for you to be able to represent you and your interests and what happens from that perspective. But as I look at us now, and I look at um, our symposium and what we do with NACTA and how we bring our membership together. I believe currently we have over 250 people registered, which is, I believe it's a record number for us rec uh, registered for the symposium. Um, so we're actually doing a uh, 22 year celebration out at uh, NACTA this year. Um, we were supposed to do the 20th anniversary, but obviously because of COVID, we were not able to do that. So we're gonna do a 22 year uh, celebration on Saturday night, which is to start of NACTA, so the night before NACTA starts. So we'll be there, kind of that solo group there by ourselves, but we're welcoming any and all affiliate members to come and participate in that at the Mandalay Bay. Um, but again, as I look at how we've evolved and I look at, um, you know, like our awards committee and the number of scholarships and the professional development grants that we give to our members to be able to either support their professional development endeavors or come to a conference. Also, we do a Rudy Keeling postgraduate scholarship to help members uh, fund their uh, postgraduate education. Um, when I look at our education committee and this, um, the webinars that they put on throughout the year and working with the symposium committee to get the symposium together, or if I look at our external relations committee and you see the number of tweets and you see the number of things out on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, all of those things, those things didn't exist 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so now seeing those type things, um, you, you know, it's, it's very great and beneficial for our organization, but also more importantly for our members that they get to see the benefits of, of being a part of MOA. But then as I see, as we evolve in the future, obviously the last couple of years, we've, we've seen lots of social unrest, social in, injustice. Um, we've seen lots of issues um, around race, ethnicity, female, gender, disability, you name it. There's a number of issues, voting rights, you name it. <laughs> There's a number of significant issues out there. And so we've been that group that has been uh, you know, championing for a lot of those uh, individuals and organizations out there to say, hey, we're here to support you and how can we lend a hand? And obviously we do that not only just through our voice and our support, but then through our, uh, you know, our webinars that we do to say, okay, let's talk about this XYZ issue and figure out how we can help you improve what you're doing from that perspective. Or if we're talking about, okay, if there's an opportunity to, to get in front of minority suppliers, we created something great, which is a minority economic inclusion network. Um, and this is where we've started to include suppliers and vendors as a part of more to say to our membership, okay, you can go to this minority supplier to get XYZ supply vendor things done for your campus, your work environment, whatever you do. So we've started to create a lot of those type of things that will benefit our, our membership, not only now, but sustain us uh, for the future from that perspective. Then I just think as we look at the changing landscape of college athletics and what it means to be 
a minority and to have diversity and inclusion. We, we really want to make sure that we have a seat at the table to make sure that we have representation when we look at the collegiate space and make sure that we have representation at the table, but then also that person has the authority and the resources to be successful in their role. I love how you framed a few different things during that conversation. 22 years, long time, obviously. So happy, happy anniversary. It's got as nice of a sound sounding uh, ring to it than uh, 20s. That's fine. No, no worries. Um, the growth of the membership, tremendous. The partnership with NACTA, amazing. Um, but but a lot of things you said there in between some of those those accomplishments and the growth you've had on social uh, and, and the awareness and kind of the brand that you that MOA has now, maybe that maybe didn't have 20, you know, 21, 22 years ago. Um, the seat at the table I took was a big takeaway for me. Um, I think the networking opportunities through your event, again, which starts with this, you know, st starts with uh, the, oh, the first day. Um, but then the third piece, I think people don't talk enough. Again, hiring and, and, and uh, inclusion and belonging once people, are, once people are hired by an organization. The supplier and the vendor uh, piece of it, I think, is such an under-discussed uh, under part of this whole conversation for businesses in our industry, right? Where you can do, you can just do better, right? With, with working with you know, diverse suppliers and vendors, um, you know, and having them at least be part of an RFP process. If they don't win a bid or they're not part of it, they're not chosen, that's fine. Give them the opportunity. Uh, that, that often doesn't get talked about because we focus so much on hiring and, and the other things that are, again, we need to catch up on other, other areas. But the vendor and supplier piece, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you'll find if you if you've worked on a college campus somewhere, and even probably for corporate America, you found that, you know, they, they have uh, minority you know, requirements when it comes to suppliers yeah. and vendors from that perspective. And so what we found was that we found a lot of our membership, uh, they were having challenges finding those minority vendors. I mean, obviously being in the facilities world, I, I'm definitely familiar with the supplier vendor mechanisms and, and what that meant from that perspective. But sometimes the other, most times the other members were not familiar with that. So we felt like it was important to get that together to, to, for our membership. So Stan Johnson, our executive director, he actually came out with the ideal and so we work with him to get this uh, mean, we call it mean, M-E-I-N, <laughs> together yeah. uh, from that perspective. But just the outpouring of support that we've gotten, not only from the vendors, but our members has been great. So it's just a, another resource that our membership has that they can tap into when they need something. That's great. Uh, one of the other uh, positions you've held uh, over the years, and, and um, obviously the um, MOA, put MOA aside for just one second, the NCAA Minority Opportunities and Interest Committee, three years as vice chair. Just briefly, um, the goals and, and objectives of that committee with the NCAA? Yeah, certainly. Um, back in my heyday, as I said, <laughs> as I say, I'm a little bit older now, but um, obviously they have a slightly different mission. Uh, obviously, I think we, we, we both organizations are championing diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and being a being a voice um, for those in that space. But obviously, with the MOIC, it falls underneath the, the um, realm of the NCAA. Right. So that lends itself to, to manage differently in terms of really they can work on legislation and some of those type things where we cannot do that and more. Now, however, we can and more have people on our committees that work with those separate groups to get legislation. But again, it being other the NCA, they can you know push for legislation and some of those type things. And when I was a part of the group, we really focused on programming and opportunities um, for minorities in the space of athletics to give them um, 
you know, we like to call it extra training or uh, extra visibility. Again, I went through the uh, Leadership Institute for Ethnic Minority Males um, back in the day. They also have something that was called the Fellows Program that's now called the Pathway Programs. They had uh, internships for minorities. And then also we would work with the um, CWA um, um, to, to select the NCA Woman of the Year um, from that process. So back then, that was kind of our uh, challenge um, when I was on the committee. That's great. Um, I, I want to stay on the topic of college athletics, right? I mean, given your background, your knowledge of it, and, and, it, and it's a, I know maybe I'm putting you in a, in a tough spot with this question, but it, it's worth the dialogue because I don't know, I don't know the answer to it. Uh, when you look at purely, um, purely hiring and promoting women and people of color, right? Just for the purpose of this first question, how do you, where do you think college athletics is? Uh, are they ahead or behind professional sports in terms of their DEI efforts, just centered on hiring and promoting? Do you have a, do you have a sense of that? Even just because you have a million friends out there outside of college athletics and pro sports. So you pay attention, right? Where, where do you think they are ahead or behind? Yeah, that's, that's a good question, Mark. And I, you know, I've thought about it a lot and I think I'll, I'll answer it this way. It, it really depends on the league and the sport that you, you look at or you're observing or comparing to. Obviously, I think when you look at the NBA, I think the NBA has done a fantastic job. I was recently reading an article and a, and a caption of the number of minority head coaches in the NBA. Um, so I think from that perspective, they've done a, a great job. But then when you look at the NFL and you look at the number of minority head coaches, I mean, there's less than a handful. Um, so again, I'll say, you know, it really depends on the sport um, that you're looking at from that perspective. I think certainly college athletics has gotten better than what it used yeah. to be 20 years ago. I just don't know that we are where we should be. Obviously, when you look at the professional leagues, they're billion dollar sports industries there. And so when you talk about money, you, you, you always cringe or caution because owners um, feel like, you know, they need to have some type of special person or unique person in a head coaching position versus someone who really can do the job and handle the job. And they're appeasing to a different audience versus uh, college athletics. Obviously, you have student athletes and you do have donors and you have those type of people that you're trying to acquiesce to from that perspective. So you, you, sometimes you just have to look at it in a different lens <laughs> to yeah. be able to quantify whether or not that's successful or if you're ahead or behind from that perspective. But again, when I look at the NBA, obviously they're, they're ahead of the game from my perspective. NFL definitely is not. College athletics, there's lots of changing dynamics over the last couple of years. I think that's probably moving the needle a little bit um, ahead, of, I would say, of the NFL from that perspective, particularly with a lot of the social injustice and some of the coaches and the high profile student athletes who started to be very vocal about, you know, hiring of head coaches, hiring minority coordinators, those type things. Sure. So I definitely think college athletics is certainly ahead um, from that perspective. What about, and just take it a step further, um, what about the differences you may see, uh, even on the peripheral in terms of beyond hiring and promoting, but focusing on resources and accessibility and initiatives and tra you mentioned training, right? Skill set development. Um, do you notice any differences as well on that the, between colleges and pro in terms of the non-hiring and promoting side, but everything else, the resources, accessibility, et cetera? Sure. And, you know, in this day and age, it's always about the haves and the have-nots yeah, yeah. um, from that yeah. perspective. If you're a collegiate program that has a very comprehensive, I'll say, football, men's basketball, baseball 
type program and you're generating a lot of revenue, then you're probably going to have a, a lot more resources than uh, some of those uh, under-resourced or underfunded um, universities or colleges that are out there. So there's definitely a disparity of the have and have not. I mean, I think when you look at the power of five and the autonomy schools and the amount of authority and the funding that they have versus the group of five or the, the triple A schools, which are the non-football playing schools. So when you look at those type of universities, the resources are very disparaging from one to the other one. And again, obviously, if, if you're in the haves and, and you, you rake in all of the revenue from a football or a men's basketball, women's basketball, ice hockey or baseball, then it lends itself that you will have more resources from that perspective. But at the end of the day, I just feel like we all have to make a commitment um, to, to a certain level that we have to support diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives and provide the training and the resources and the, and, the, and, the, and the things that not only the student athletes needs, but the staff that needs to support the student athletes to be successful. Yep. And so you've got to be able to address that issue across the board, no matter what level you are, you're going to get left behind. It, it's fascinating. Uh, so I think that what you said there at the very end is something we've experienced when we've, we've worked on a few different uh, senior DNI searches. So I might be going back to your first answer about hiring, but it really ties into what you just said about resources and money. When we've placed people with the Denver Broncos, the Oklahoma City Thunder, the Seat Geek that have been in senior DEI roles, the candidates and the ones we placed, but also the other candidates we talked to, talked about resources, staffing, money, et cetera, uh, to build things out, right? And that's on the pro side and the organizations and, and Seat Geek, a ticketing writer that also has um, has some funds uh, to spend, but making sure that it's not um, setting that person up for failure either. So making sure they are given the staff, the money, the resources, and the support uh, once they're there. So uh, great, great answer. And you're right, there is a difference between you know, those, those programs that are generating, you know, seven, eight, nine figures and those that are clearly um, in a deficit. So uh, where can they put other dollars towards yeah. sometimes a scenario that might not get all the dollars? So absolutely. You, you have to make a decision of, yeah. of, of, of kind of, you know, what's important to you and what yeah. you value at the end of the day. And, you know, and I, I firmly believe most ADs want to do the right thing, but sometimes they just have to make tough decisions and you have to make a decision on how you want to allocate your resources. Yeah. Uh, Tim, I, I want to ask you a question about, um, and you mentioned especially the evolution of, of things over the last few years in particular, uh, and obviously you and I chatted during the summer of 2020. So I'm asking this question in a more broad sense um, because you've mentioned you've come where you've come in your career. You've been around, uh, you've been around for a while. Those are your words, not mine. But do you see younger professionals in college athletics? Uh, being more active, more vocal on DEI issues than maybe they once were when you were coming up in the industry back in your UConn days and et cetera. Um, do, do you notice that, uh, that, that that group of either entry-level or mid-level people in college athletics are, are, more, are more involved and are, and are more outspoken on DEI issues? Well, I'll say it this way. I've certainly seen an, uh, an uptick in our student athlete population that has become more engaged and vocal when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. And that's just natural based on some of the things that they're um, experiencing um, either on their college campus or in their community. So I've definitely seen an uptick in that. Um, in terms of the staff or the young professionals, I've seen a little bit of it. I haven't seen a large uptick of it. I, um, I will say, you know, I think the new age folks, they 
they speak differently and they vocalize differently where before I think we had to pound the table and jump on the table. Um, they, they're kind of quiet with theirs, yeah. either in their social media efforts yeah. or in, in some of their campaigns with their um, student athletes or some of their NLI initiatives and some of the other things that they do from a community service perspective. Um, so I certainly think there is an increase there. I just think it's probably not being either vocalized or right. either, um, uh, you know, visualize in the way that we typically would see that type of outspoken person in terms of you know being at the microphone and pounding on tables and doing some other things i think they're doing it in a quiet way um, based on some of my observations but obviously when it comes to moa and moic and some of those other organizations uh, we definitely see lots of representation again based on our membership growing to over a thousand that's telling me that there's lots of folks who feel very passionate about what we do and what we bring to the table and want to be a part of the solution and help us move to the next level sure and i love uh and i love part of your answer there about the student athlete piece i hadn't considered that and that's been that's different now than it ever was before in terms of their power their influence um you know their own brand obviously but how they can use their name and brand um to make to make change uh and to stand up for themselves and we saw that you know with march madness last year on the women's side uh or the year prior excuse me on the women's side and and, and it certainly come up in other areas as well so student athlete uh great great thought i hadn't um, really uh, considered that. But last question on my side, and this is, again, it's, it's a question that you and I've never really talked talk about before, but the idea of, you know, a, a mentor or somebody that you admire or plural doesn't, it, it could be more than one here, um, but whether it's a certain AD or, or, or maybe a mentor or two, um, that people, you know, that, that, you, that you look towards that people, you know, oh, I didn't know Tim, you know, tries to follow in that person's footsteps or they go to them for guidance and advice. Who, who do you look towards, towards as, either as somebody you aspire to, to do what they've done in their career or, or just in general, you go to them for advice and tips on career, life, et cetera? Sure, I yeah, know that's a good question. And, um, you know, over the course of my career, I've had a lot of great uh, people and great friends and colleagues and mentors in my life, but there's several that have definitely made a lasting impact on me. Uh, the first one is LaRonica Conway. Um, she was uh, assistant sports information director when I was a, a student at the University of South Carolina, so she probably doesn't like me saying that, dating herself, but uh, <laughs> um, she has just always been a great friend, and she was always a friend foremost, and she was the one who encouraged me to get in this industry, to get into facilities and operations, and saw something in me that I did not see at the time. She's no longer in the industry, but she's still a good friend, and her and I talk all the time because because she was in the business, she yeah. knows what it's about. And but she can give that outside perspective because she's no longer in the industry, but she's right. just been a, a great friend. And then the other one is uh, Vaughn Williams. Um, you know, I worked for Vaughn uh, for several years when I, I was at UConn, and he's just become a great friend and a great mentor and someone that I can just pick up the phone and just have a conversation about life in general. And, you know, I know his wife and his kids and his family and always enjoy being around them. But again, when I when I have a life moment, I can call him. When I have yeah. a work moment, I can call him. Yeah. He's just been great from that perspective. And then uh, another one is Sean Frazier, who's the AD at Northern Illinois now. I worked for Sean when I was at Wisconsin, but Sean and I developed a friendship uh, when I was at the University of Denver, and um, I believe he was at Merrimack, um, but we're both hockey schools, and he needed someone to help him around in Denver when they were out there playing 
uh, University of Denver in a hockey tournament and someone said, hey, reach out to Tim Wise. And uh, that was almost 20 years ago. Matter of fact, it was more than 22 years. That was 22 years ago, somewhere in there. So him and I have just been great friends and colleagues. And again, someone that I can just call on if I need to pick up the phone. And one thing that, about uh, Sean that he used to do um, for us um, when I was at Wisconsin, and I believe he still does it, is that he always uh, made time to take us to lunch uh, every month just to just to talk. And he's like, we don't have to talk about work. We can talk about whatever. So it was always special for me to have that that kind of that one on one time with him outside of the office for us just to talk about work life in general from those things. Um, and then the last one, um, Sean Eichhorst, um, who's currently the deputy AD at University of uh, Texas. Um, I worked with Sean when I was at Wisconsin, but then worked for Sean when I was at the University of Miami. And he's just a good friend. He will text me to this day and, and just check in on me and make sure I'm okay. And the one thing that he always says to me, Tim, is if they just let you do your job, they'll be so much better. Good to have that support. Yeah, exactly. So he's just very supportive and, and believes in me and who I am and what I'm about. And so to have uh, folks like that in your corner, um, it's just a great feeling. And they've helped me to get to where I'm in my career today. I love that answer because I think the common thread I heard throughout was, again, some of them were, were a long time ago. Some maybe, you know, again, more recent is all relative, but some at the very beginning stage of your career, um, you know, is the personal and the professional side. I think people, you know, when they think about mentors and some people overanalyze the mentor thing, they need to make it official. It needs to be formal. Like, no, it can be an informal thing that is. Uh, infrequent. It doesn't need to be a monthly check-in. It can be via text as well. It doesn't need to be right. in person all the time. So I love the idea that it, the personal and the professional side and as needed on both. Well, from both. And by the way, it's reciprocal too. You may view them as a mentor, a friend, et cetera, but you may also uh, be, be able to offer them things and they you just may not know it or identify it, but it's reciprocal, which I love. Yeah. I always tell young folks now is to find a mentor or a colleague that can help them, but find someone that you're not going to ask about a job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, good. Yeah. Find somebody who can just talk to you real talk and give you the down and dirty uh, when you need it. Because sometimes we need that. And you yeah. know, I think sometimes if all you're ever getting is that you're doing a great job, I'm, I'm not sure that's a good mentor and a friend to you. Because at the end of the day, I think we're all doing something, I don't want to say wrong, but yeah. I think we all have some areas that we can improve on and get better back with. So if you have someone who's being real with you in your corner, I think you'll be much better off. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, listen, I've taken up a ton of your time uh, today. I, I do want to thank, start off by, by thanking you for your time. I, I do want to give a plug, whether you like it or not, I'm going to give a plug for you. Uh, the 22nd annual Lead One Institute, um, it's being hosted at Notre Dame, right? This July, right. Um, leadoneassociation.com. Obviously, you mentioned uh, uh, NACTA, uh, the event, and uh, the MOA um, anniversary event coming up as well. So um, be, keep an eye out on Tim and the industry. Um, you've been a great friend of Prodigies for a while now. You've always offered incredible insights. You shot us straight. Uh, you've told us areas where we can improve and get better. So always appreciate your time, Tim, and, and uh, continued success. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. You got it.